You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. I can still smell the sweet scent of, of the hot hay and, and feel the scratchy leaves of the corn stalks around me. Um, but not all of our neighbors were Amish. We, in fact, our immediate neighbors across the street and beside us were not. And I didn't have as much interaction with them because um, they didn't have kids my age. But my parents knew them and I have memories of them crossing the street to go talk to them or standing in the yard to catch up on life and what's going on. My daughter recently asked me why we live in Philadelphia. Why don't we, why didn't I stay in Lancaster? Because to her, Lancaster is this magical place where wonderful things happen. When your grandparents organize life around you coming to visit, it does feel pretty magical. Um, But I ended up in Philadelphia because of school. And after school, I got a job at my internship. um, And I found a place to live with fellow recent graduates. So I just kept staying for many reasons. Um, But a big one was my connection with Circle of Hope. I realized I couldn't be a Christian alone. And I needed a community of people who would help me work this out. I wanted to work it out in the city. I loved the diversity, the experiences that stretched me, and the rich relationships that I was building. And I found a lot of hope here as I connected with people who were doing the work of loving people around them and using their gifts and their skills and training to serve God. But at first, the city was a hard place for me to be. Remember, I was used to cornfields and willow trees. There are a lot of people here and not a lot of fields. Um, You can't live here and not bump up against or get stuck in all kinds of systemic problems. You can't really live here and not see and feel the disparity and division. The city is changing and growing all the time, and growth creates opportunities as well as challenges. And that's actually part of the reason that Circle of Hope is here in Philadelphia. And if you go back uh, 22 years ago, I think it was, um, Circle of Hope was planted here with the intention to be in an area of the country that's growing. As a region grows, so does its need for the body of Christ. There are nearly 56 million people that live in the Northeast. That means there's about 345 people per square mile. So there are a lot of people here. And our vision as a church is to be both big and small. We want to make a big impact where we are, but be small enough to deliver the gospel personally face-to-face in the slow, patient work of relationships. So we have five congregations all across Philadelphia and South Jersey, and we meet in cells in neighborhoods throughout the week in people's homes where we 
build relationships with each other, and encourage one another in our life of faith. And we're committed to figuring out how to follow Jesus in our context. If we were going to be in a highly populated, fractured region, we can't help but see that what we do affects other people. We keep working out ways to practically love and keep generating a new expression of the church as a community that resists and restores with those moved by the Holy Spirit. We do this by following Jesus. That's where I want to talk about how we follow Jesus in our context, in our neighborhoods. Jesus came to earth in the form of a human to relate to us, to experience life as one of us in place and in time and in a physical body. This was a demonstration of God's love and God's desire to have a relationship with us. In the Old Testament before Jesus, God was, is a transcendent creator who is also personal, who created and loves humanity and made them in his own image. God doesn't need humans, but God relates to us. This is certainly complicated for people. So Jesus enters, I think, to help simplify matters, to embody who God is in the flesh. Of course, this has its complications too. People have been wondering ever since if he was truly God. And we, we have to work with our questions. But I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his version of John 1, verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Sorry, I lost my page. I'm going to start over because it's so good. I want you to hear it all together. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is John 1, 14. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and gave us God's glory so we could see it with our own eyes, who God is. God sent Jesus to relate to us in a tangible, embodied way to carry out God's purpose and to usher, into, usher in God's kingdom here on earth. In the New Testament, Paul calls us, followers of Jesus, the body of Christ. And we have moved into the neighborhood, literally, with this congregation. We multiplied from our South Broad congregation and now have this congregation here on Ridge Avenue because we wanted to increase our tangible presence here in the Northwest. We wanted more people to get to know Jesus by getting next to us as we have a physical presence in all the neighborhoods across the Northwest and the suburbs and all over. 
Right now, we have cells that meet throughout the week in people's homes in Germantown and Mount Airy and East Falls. But we want to have cells all over our neighborhoods and surrounding suburbs. I was just emailing with someone who would love to have a cell in Lower Marion after he finds an apartment and settles in. We're praying about and working towards a cell on Eastern's campus again this year and Jefferson's campus. And I just reached out to a contact at St. Joe's. We want to be accessible to neighbors and neighborhoods in Philadelphia. That's why we have people from all over as a part of us. Living in West Philly and Fishtown, we, we all have an impact in our neighborhoods. I tell people that much of the life of the church happens through cells. It's not limited by what happens or doesn't happen in this meeting. This meeting is an expression of our life in Christ and our life together. But the church is not contained in this room between these walls. A building is practical. But the real work of the church happens in you and in all of us because we are the church. And as I said earlier, it can be hard. Someone new to Philadelphia told me that this is one of the hardest places she's lived yet. And she's lived all over the world. It may be that you love living here, or it may be feels like a hard place to be. Uh, it may be that you made a choice to live here. It may feel like you don't have a choice. Either way, on the days that it seems hard, or when it feels like following Jesus should have more results, we could ask ourselves, when does it get awesome? We might be tempted, like I mentioned at the start of this meeting, to have a destination or a future escape in mind. A lawyer who was listening to Jesus was wondering the same question. He said to Jesus, essentially, now that you've moved into the neighborhood, what do I need to do to live forever? As is often the case, Jesus responds with a question that helps to uncover what was going on in the heart of the person. And the lawyer responds, getting the answer right according to the law. But because there was something more complicated going on in his heart, he's dissatisfied. And he asks Jesus another question. Let's look at the whole story so we can consider Jesus' response for ourselves. Can somebody read this for us? This is John, uh, Luke, excuse me, Luke 10. Thanks, Phil. Just then, the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, 
And when he saw him, he, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to, the, to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will pay you whatever, you, whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. First thing that Luke notes in this passage is that the lawyer, who is an expert in the, in the Torah, the Jewish law, this translation says lawyer, others say expert in the law or legal expert, is here to challenge Jesus, to test him. The lawyer asks Jesus a question that would be common for a Jewish thinker. It was about eternal life. Jesus gets asked this question often because the concept of an afterlife is quite interesting and uh, to some Jewish people. So Jesus responds with a question that any legal expert would be able to answer. What does the law say? And the lawyer answers perfectly. Specifically, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 18.19. These are the basics. So the man quotes the right Jewish law that Jesus will say is the summary of the entire Jewish law, too. And Jesus answers his question, that's what you need to do. But there is more going on with this man. He is intent on justifying himself. Luke shows us this again because the man keeps the interruption going. He says, but who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love? Which is funny because rhetorically the, the law is meant to demonstrate endless love and the lawyer seems to be looking for the fine print. Also, um, like he wants a more clearly defined rule to follow so he can live within it and justify himself and earn this eternal life that he's looking for. So Jesus tells a story and it begins... Um, a little cryptically, he begins with a man. On purpose, he doesn't identify his class, his ethnicity, where he comes from. And he's going downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's attacked. It's a treacherous downhill road, descending like 3,000 plus feet. And other travelers see this man suffering and they pass him by. It's hard to know why the Levite and the priest overlook him. You can see them passing by on the side of that painting. One guess is that the man who is half beaten would be considered unclean and therefore untouchable. It, it would be ritually impure for them to touch a dead man. But one commentator says that that's a really flimsy excuse. 
Uh, it could be that they were afraid that it's a trap, that they might suffer the same fate. One viewpoint is that they ignore the man because they, can, they only relate to people that are in their family. In that culture and time, power and authority come through their lineage. So they're used to being evaluated because of whom they're related to, not what they're doing. But for whatever reason, they pass by, uncompelled to stop and respond to the man. And then the Samaritan shows up. Uh, Luke's readers know that there is major animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. There are centuries of opposition and hostility between them. That's why this story is so famous. Uh, the most unlikely person shows compassion. The person most justified to ignore this man's suffering went out of his way to respond and to get involved. The enemy becomes the neighbor. Jesus takes what is going on in the lawyer's heart and he reveals in his question, takes what's going on in the lawyer's heart and is revealed in his question and flips the question upside down, which exposes the problem. Jesus flips the question, who is my neighbor? This question that's passive and, and begs a finer point for clarity of rule, rule following. And it becomes, who acted as a neighbor? The man knows the answer, and Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. So Jesus' point isn't, who is, the who is a neighbor? He's saying, everyone is your neighbor. But he's pointing out two things. I think he's refocusing the man on things that are happening around him, not on things that are happening in the future. Remember, his question was originally about how he gets eternal life. Following Jesus, then, isn't about what is to come in eternity only. It's about bringing eternity here. It's about being present and not always distracted by even the hopeful future. We have something to do now. We reveal the kingdom of God now in the way that we live and we relate, in the way we spread love and live as people called to reconciliation. And through his story, Jesus reveals that the question to be asking is, how do I act like a neighbor? living in this densely populated region, I'm guessing it's fair to say that we've all had our share of hostility towards those around us at some point, right? Yeah. Some people are willing to acknowledge it with me. Uh, do you have that neighbor who does that thing that bothers you every time? It may not be dramatic, as dramatic as centuries of opposition. But then again, it might be. For any of us who are used to receiving um, a certain level of privilege in our society, it can be especially hard to 
to not see ourselves as the wounded man when we feel we've been wronged. I want to give you a personal example of how I was like the lawyer here. I had a neighbor once who would just open his back door and let his dog out to go to the bathroom. And the dog would always come to my yard. It took me a while to figure out who was doing this. And when I did, I confronted the problem nicely but firmly, asking him not to let his dog go in my yard. And he denied it. So I felt like I had to catch him in the act. I was a little obsessed with the sound of the dog's collar. And I would be instantly fuming and at the window anytime I thought I heard it. And to add insult to injury, the dog often would like tear through my garden and destroy my plants. I did catch him and the dog on multiple occasions, and I continued to approach him sometimes even bringing out a bag for him to clean it up. But I just became more furious when the problem didn't stop. My kids couldn't play out there without me having to go out and check first. There was more than one occasion where I was cleaning out our shoes. I truly lost the joy in my yard and the <coughs> space for myself and my family. I was pretty much feeling like the victim in this situation. I really didn't think it was too much to expect a neighbor to treat me with some decency and respect. I felt insulted, passed over, and ignored. I remember talking about it with a friend and realizing how consumed I had become with my own bitterness and anger. Everything anyone in that household did made me angry. Where they parked their car, how they interacted or didn't interact with me, everything. I remember pulling up in front of my house and feeling my anger rise up again when I got a clear nudge from God to build a relationship with them beyond the dog. And I had my argument with God right there. It was like I was the lawyer interrupting Jesus to justify myself. Why should I build a relationship with them when I have been so insulted and disrespected? Why should I go out of my way when I am the injured one? Who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? Tell me so that I can justify myself and still fall within the lines of being right. But Jesus flipped the whole question upside down for me like he did for the lawyer. The question is not who is your neighbor, but who acts like a neighbor? The one who transcends the hostility to extend compassion, to care for the other. And I cannot say that I wanted to do that, but somehow I knew that I needed to I needed to forgive so that I wouldn't live consumed in bitterness and anger. The Circle of Hope Daily Prayer entry for today said it so well. It said, Jesus explicitly said that we should not reserve our love for those who love us back. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is not an ideal that a few can live up to. 
or reserved for minor cases of offense. The call to forgive one another is at the heart, at the core of human and societal transformation because it is at the core of a healed relationship with God. So for me to access that abundant life in the kingdom of God, I needed to operate out of a healed relationship with God, one that frees me from needing to justify myself. And it took some time, but I found ways to relate to that household apart from the dog and it freed me. I was transformed over time, and so was our relationship. Circle Pope says in one of our Proverbs that welcoming the stranger is at the heart of being a Christian. And offering hospitality exposes the fear of the giver and the receiver to the transforming touch of God. Jesus says it directly, to love your enemies. I was able to move from seeing them as enemies to at least strangers. And offering hospitality exposed our fears to the transforming touch of God. My fear of what they might continue to take from me got transformed into compassion. And their hearts softened too. Our households were changed in the process in the exchange of hospitality. And in the end, we gained some friends. It didn't happen overnight, but eventually the dog problem was solved. Resolved, I mean. Jesus has a way of exposing our hearts and getting to the deep places in us that need to be transformed. Learning to be a neighbor in the way that Jesus teaches us isn't just about seeing everyone on our block or our commute as a neighbor in need of compassion. This Good Samaritan story is a story about how grand God's love is for us and how it extends through us to overcome hostility and transform relationships where real barriers exist. Jesus is responding in a way that exposes the heart of our questions and gets into the things we struggle with in our neighborhoods so that we are all transformed. We can relate to others out of the reconciliation that Christ achieved for us with God. That is the basis for removing barriers of hostility between people. But it can be a long process. We need endurance and patience and the humility to forgive and be forgiven. We need to build relationships based in Christ and to overcome wounds of prejudice and mistrust, systemic racism. It takes a commitment to relationships, and that means overcoming accumulated barriers, making persistent efforts getting beyond what are inevitable conflicts. And that takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen on its own. We need to keep working it out with God. Justice grows best in a field of mutual repentance and forgiveness. And that's the work 
that we need to trust Jesus to do in and through us. So be the church wherever you are. You and your cell are the churches in your neighborhood. You bring love to your neighbors. And we get transformed in the process. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.